0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: TickPick should be your first choice to buy basketball tickets because they save fans money by never charging any service fees, ever. TickPick is the exclusive ticketing partner for the Laker Film Room podcast and BlueWire Network.
0: What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment.
2: I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have
1: to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike, and we won a basketball game. And we won a basketball game in part because Carmelo Anthony scored 28 points off of the bench. And so in today's episode, we're gonna dive in a little deeper into not just that performance, but as we get a little more tape and a little more familiarity, we're still so much in that process of figuring out what this team is. But Darius, Before this weekend, uh, counting both the Suns game, in which we got blown out, and then we had a nice little fourth quarter to make it a little more respectable, and the game that we won against the Grizzlies, I started to see the, oh, this is how Melo fits into this, which doesn't say it doesn't come without problems and perhaps even, you know, fatal complications (laughs) that come from his defense and things like that. But on both sides of the ball, I started to see a little more of the picture of like, oh, this is how it could look. I'm wondering what you saw out of really one of the better perimeter scoring performances we've had off the bench in a while.
2: I think we all had a good sense of what the ideal version of Carmelo Anthony would be, right? And um, I think you saw a lot of that in the Grizzlies game, I think what you're talking about is more the process in which you actually get to those points, right? That's right. And so during the offseason, we had discussed a lot this idea of, like, Olympic Mellow, and and we sort of see the end result of that, right? Like, oh, look, there's Mellow, and he's open, and he's shooting a three-pointer, and some guy is late to close out on him. And
1: he's, like, six for seven from the field because he's got open shots, yeah. Exactly. The way the, the Lakers are not
2: the Olympic team. They're not going to function in the same way in terms of smothering defense and transition everything like, and, and just the other team can't do anything with us at all. And so they're just going to get into the paint at will, no matter what the defense does, they can have 10 guys in the paint and somebody's still going to get there. Someone's still going to get beat off the dribble. It's still going to collapse. And there's Mello right shoe being an open three. I liked some of the actions that the Lakers were putting mellow into. I liked some of the floor spacing principles that they were using in order to park him on certain parts, parts of the floor. I liked some of the lineup shifts that the Lakers used, particularly in the second half of the sun's game. And then throughout the Grizzlies game, um, like, one one example is playing him with Anthony Davis more rather than playing him with Dwight Howard more as, as uh, the primary big man.
1: Yeah, I want to get into that more a little bit later because there's a distinct difference between uh, those two pairings. Especially defensively,
2: right? I also yes. think that some of the things they were doing defensively was trying to scram Melo out of situations. Like one of the things the Lakers started to do more of in the Grizzlies game and in the second half of the Suns game was switch more. Defensively, especially one through four, right? And so even with AD on the floor, they weren't always switching, like AD would switch sometimes, but but switching more and then trying to protect the guy who wasn't in a situation who was getting targeted, and a lot of times that would be mellow, right? And so, oh, the Lakers are switching one, well, one through four, let's run a ball screen for Jaw Morant to get mellow on to Ja. Right. And so now Melo's isolated. It's just like, OK, well, here comes Malik Monk sprinting up to the ball to sort of say, no, 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 no. We're not doing this to Melo. Right. And so there was more little tweaks and subtleties within the game plan that that I saw. Um, but Mike, for all the stuff that we saw. The one thing that we saw was the ball going in the basket. Right. And Mello, I think, taking the types of shots that are more in the shot diet that I think all of us want from Carmelo Anthony, right? Which is a lot of threes, um, less mid-range ISO, jab, jab, less like 2011, 2012 Mellow and more of the, of the 2021, 22 version of, of Mello that I think a lot of us want. And he can kill In that role. And I think striking the right balance and turning the dial, as Pete says, in that direction of more spot up chances, more early transition chances, trail action chances, those are the things that Melo can eat off of. And teams are going to run into issues dealing with him, especially on second units when he's flanked by the right personnel. Yeah, so
3: 27,423 points is a lot. It's a lot of points. Uh, we know that, of course, he famously <laughs> passed Moses Malone. And after the game, LeBron was asked about Melo and what stands out to him as a scorer. And he said... Melo's game is unique in his own right. I mean, he's, he's done it at all facets of the game, in all positions. And the early Melo that I remember was just athletic and big and would bounce you off. And he would just sort of go to the rim... And if he didn't score in his first initial action after bumping you off with the body because nobody could stay with him on the perimeter that had any size, then he would just grab the ball and put it right back in. Like that was the bully ball mellow. The evolution then kind of eventually turned more into the jump shooter. But LeBron pointed out his footwork was always been his Marcus, his footwork, um, either off the dribble or before the dribble, being able to create space um, with quick twitch feet. The first name that I think of when I hear footwork is Kobe. Uh, I assume that you guys are the same. And there is some stuff that he's got there to get himself into positions to be able to get off what LeBron then called one of the most beautiful jump shots um, that you can see. Just LeBron said his shot is one of the most beautiful releases I've seen in NBA history. Um, And I feel like it's going in every single time. And the angle and the fact that he's 6'9". And you're not really able to contest it that well. So all of that stuff is great. And I I just, I think if we contrast the third game to the first two where Mello struggled some, the progress that I thought he made also was on the defensive side of the court where uh, in Pete, I want to kind of kick it back to you to point out some of the specifics, but just a couple of smart strips with quick hands at the right time and making a little bit more effort uh, in terms of the multiple effort stuff that Frank Bogle said. And Vogel said that that evolved in the film session on Sunday that they had, which was pretty extensive. And he's he kind of hinted that they figured a couple things out there. And that's what it looked like, Uh, even though John Morant was just ridiculous and broke down a lot of that. um, It did seem like mellow Pete was part of that defensive improvement.
1: Very much so. And that is part of even though this has been this was our first win, I have loved following this team and covering this team and because I really like doing puzzles like the ones that you lay out on your coffee table that are thousand pieces. And there's that feeling, you know, where you you separate the pieces in the middle versus the border pieces. You get all excited when you find a corner and things like that. And that's really the process of this season is. That beginning parts of putting that type of puzzle together where it's like, oh, look, these two fit or I found a corner piece or, you know, putting kind of all of that together starts to build up. Oh, yeah, you got your little model right here. What, what are we looking at here? I got
3: to get you into Legos, which Ben Golliver got me into. Uh, it started with the kids, but now I've got the Barcelona Stadium. I've got a quarter of it in front of me. This this is the next level to puzzles, buddy. OK, we're talking 3D. We're talking structures. Or we'll, we'll You know, we'll, we'll get offline about that.
1: I appreciate that. Yeah. I, that is definitely, uh, the, the way things that my, my mind is attracted to for sure. And so what you're talking about there, Melo defensively is a five. I know that sounds odd, but that's the foot speed that he has. That's his fundamental problem is he just can't move his feet. He is a pretty big guy. That's something that seeing him in person. And it's like, Oh yeah, Melo's a little bigger than I expected because he's so smooth offensively. And that's why he is ninth all time is he's a big dude with that great footwork with that quick release. And so, but his fundamental issue is just he can't move his feet very much. And so one of the solves of that is what Darius was talking about, where our best, so our best lineups around the, the big three so far have been just pure shooters, Mello and Monk, Mellow and Reeves. And Mello has been a, a, a part of those units in part because he's such an elite shooter and an elite scorer. But... Come, But with that comes the, well, how are we going to defend? And so what Darius was talking about with the scramming guys out or the switching is that's our strategy is that when teams start to seek out those uh, one-on-one matchups, if we're switching, that's what offenses do is they mismatch hunt. So it's like, oh, you're switching mellow versus Jaw, And we know that's never going to work. But mellow has to play off of guys, whether it's Ja or otherwise. And so the way that we're accounting for that is we're sending our the nearest uh, guard, Darius, to go guard, to go trap that. And what that does is that sets off a sequence of events where the more four-on-threes that we're in this year, it actually plays to the strengths of our defense, especially when we have LeBron and AD on the floor, but even if, if just AD is on the floor. Um, because if you put your two weakest ball handlers, or excuse me, if you put your two weakest defenders on the ball in a trap that gives them one fairly simple rotation back and they're much less likely to get beat because they have help and then that on that four on three you've got LeBron James and Anthony Davis and all these guys that really thrive in those scenarios so I'm really curious your thoughts on like is that sustainable it seems to be our strategy it's what we did with Mark last year it's kind of part of Vogel's system for accounting for weaker defenders and I thought that in this game in particular it worked very well. Sustainable is an interesting word because I'm
2: actually not sure. Teams catch up to game planning stuff. And I don't think that can be your primary idea defensively for an entire game. Um, I think you can use it in spots. I think that you can leverage the strengths of those other players um, by doing that. I think it's a heavy ask or it's a heavy lift for the guys who really have to do a lot of the scrambling and a lot of the running, um, of all the guys, I think AD is the most capable of, of covering up for that. Um, so I don't know if it's sustainable in heavy doses. I think it's sustainable as like, this isn't going away for the Lakers. They've done it under Vogel pretty much every season that Vogel's been, been the coach. Um, they did it in the rocket series against James Harden they did it in in the Portland series against Damian Lillard I'm I'm talking about in the run to the championship in will will in the bubble so this is definitely in Vogel's bag it's something he wants to do the interesting thing that to me is that th- this plays back into the idea of learning Pete and Learning what your guys can and can't do, and from the individual from the coaching standpoint, and then from the individual player standpoint, learning how you need to rewire your brain in order to do things different that you have not been asked to do before. Like you mentioned something that I think is important to repeat about Melo, because Melo's been playing defense like this for a long time in his career. He he is bigger, he is long right he, he so he has gotten used to like laying off guys and and sort of inviting the jumper and then getting up to contest high right and and bothering guys right because he is like oh like you are six eight six nine two fifty and like you're sort of imposing when you're leaping at me right and Melo's never been a great defender but this is hardwired in into his brain about sitting back some and he's gotten burned by doing that several times he's given up a few three-point shot attempt fouls he got caught too low playing against Steph who walked into a three that was a crucial three in that game and the idea of same
3: thing with DeAndre too right where he's kind of just yes like laying off not contesting well that's a foot speed yeah yeah
1: it's a foot speed thing Dwight Dwight too honestly which we'll get into yeah and and so this idea of like,
2: no, man, push up, push up, because the guy, the more you push up, the guys are going to protect you behind that. And I do not think perimeter players, it's one thing for Baysmore before the season to say, look at those guys over there, Mike, like you highlighted this quote early on where Bays is just like, oh, how am I feeling about playing defense for this team? Look at those dudes right and he's talking about the seven footers that are behind there to to protect you well most players haven't had that luxury their entire career to have three guys who are who can be that imposing behind you and Adjusting your mindset to say, no, 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 push up, push up, push up, because you're taught to not give up the driving lane. You're taught to not get beat, right? But Vogel seems intent on saying, no, get these guys off of the line, get them off of the arc, drive into help, and I want our help to be early. And you notice, Pete and Mike, When Vogel has complained about the Lakers' backline help, it hasn't been that they haven't been protecting the rim. It's that they've been late. It's just like, no, part of our problem is our bigs are late. They're not early enough in showing their help because that is how their defense accounts for for all of the getting beat. It's no, be early. We expect these guys to get beat off the dribble some. Be early and everyone is going to rotate and protect each other. And we have not seen enough of that over the course of the first 3 games, but we got more of that in in the Grizzlies game and I think highlighting it within the context of protecting Carmelo Anthony a little bit is an important framework because the Lakers have more guys who need protecting this year, and Melo needs to play for this team. He's too good of an offensive player and and too important of a spacing shooter to not play.
3: One thing I wanted to mention, just how amazing AD was down the stretch defensively, and I don't know if there's anybody else in the league that can do that. Maybe Giannis, but he doesn't do it quite the same way that AD does with his instincts and just his length, and so I thought that was a and that's what these guys are still learning, right? Like Kuz tweeted something like right late in that game about how, yeah, basically nobody can do this like AD. And, and I think that Carmelo and whoever's on the floor, Baysmore Russ, like they're going to start to get that sense of what AD can do. And maybe that'll change some of the way that they play. Pete, the, the other note I want to make about Carmelo is just that he was hot. Uh, he was six of eight from three, right? 10 of 15 from the floor. And that on nights like that, I totally get letting the minutes go up. Um, I, I don't think he's going to be playing 28 minutes or, or should be, <laughs> Neither do especially I. once sure. you get Kendrick Nunn back. And once you get THT back, but that's a, that's a, another thing we were getting into in the text thread about the rotation, but that when a guy is cooking like that, and maybe it's monk on a different night, right? Maybe when he gets back, it's none, then you can extend those minutes. Uh, but that it's just something I think that we got, we can't expect this type of performance from mellow right every night. And, and I don't think, I don't think that anybody does.
1: No, cer- certainly not. But I do think that the combination of the pressure that our stars can put on the rim and Carmelo Anthony is really good. If you go through our lineup data and the two man lineups, the three man lineups, the four man lineups, Carmelo Anthony is all over the very few positive lineups that we have. And in part, it's that what LeBron was talking about—that combination of quick work, uh, of quick twitch footwork that LeBron mentioned, and a really high release point and size makes him able to shoot off of a variety of catches and a variety of situations. And he's top 10 and now number nine in all time scoring in part because he's got such a wide variety of ways to score. And that's why I think that even if he's not hot like that every, every night, Mike, the threat of Carmelo Anthony on a pop, the threat of Carmelo Anthony as a, a scorer in general has to be at least accounted for. If nothing else, we, all of the, the holes in his game, defensively, all of that, Carmelo Anthony can still score the basketball, and he showed that last night, and that's something that, especially from the perimeter, is gonna be really important, combined with the talents of our big three. So let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll get more into it. Lakers basketball is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself by searching all over the internet to find Lakers tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site. And the only one you'll ever need is your go-to for all NBA tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NBA tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices on the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in purchase price. I'm excited to see this Lakers squad get out and transition this year, and there's nothing like seeing a great fast-breaking team in person. Visit TickPick.com slash LFR today and use promo code LFR to save $10 on your first order of Lakers tickets.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: Before the break, Mike, you were talking, you pointed out Anthony Davis's ability to just be everywhere and be kind of omnipresent on defense when he is really locked in. And he had, you know, a couple of blocks, a couple of steals. And in conjunction with Carmelo Anthony, I always think in in terms of pairings and how guys pair together, you you want one guy to be good at the things that the other guy is bad at and vice versa. That's kind of a general rule. And so prior to the season, I was thinking that Melo and Dwight would be a good combo together, but from watching them together, and this bears out in the very small sample of numbers that we have, there's a foot speed issue there, D, that in seeing Carmelo Anthony more through the lens of he's a five, because part of the reason that he hangs back is the same reason DJ hangs back, the same reason Dwight hangs back. And the same reason that we're late on our rotations that Frank is upset about, right? Is that, those guys are going to be late. They're slow. They're slow of foot. And so that mellow and AD combo, that defensive rating is right at 100. That mellow and Dwight Howard combo defensive rating is at 120. And I think in part because if you pull Dwight out onto the perimeter, he's going to have difficulty moving his feet. And, and so now you've got two guys at your four and five position that are slow of foot and can be pulled out onto the perimeter and exploited in that manner. So defensively, like, what are you seeing from the matchup, like from the two-player combinations? You're big on these two-man lineup type type data. What are you seeing with Melo and Player X?
2: So here's the thing is, and I sent this in, uh, <laughs> our text thread is infamous now, like we should put it on Discord and have people pay for it. I mentioned this last night to to both of you that it's important to, have the right defenders around Mello not necessarily the best defenders right and so Dwight is probably still one of the better defenders on the Lakers team he has he has one or two key weaknesses though and those pair poorly with Mello just in general right and so like look i still love Dwight in a drop coverage stabbing at the ball handler like playing playing center field a little bit and sort of Baiting the guard into what am I going to do? Am I going to throw that lob? Now, Dwight's still going to get beat on that sometimes, but, but I like him there way more than I like DeAndre Jordan, for, for example, right? But when Dwight is hedging high, it is. It's a poor match For Carmelo Anthony or if Dwight has to make that secondary rotation out of a scram when you're trying to throw a trap at for to cover for Carmelo Anthony Dwight's not going to get there in fact he may not even make the rotation at all and he will sort of look around like who's covering for me to go run out there and if that guy if the guy who's supposed to cover for him is maybe LeBron James LeBron James might be like look, buddy, I was drafted the year before you. Don't be looking at me. <laughs> yeah, right, why do I, I got to
1: do all this heavy lifting? Yeah. <laughs> right?
2: And well, I've I've played the second most career minutes in the entire history of the NBA, right? Like like I am, if, if anyone can loaf for one possession, maybe it's me. And, and so there is a domino effect, like, like you were saying. And so Melo needs speed around him. It's one of the reasons why I think that, Monk was an interesting yeah, pairing he was with him, mm-hmm. right? It's why Russ, it, like, these aren't the Lakers' best defenders, right? Oh, look, Russell Westbrook, we're, we're not looking at him as this elite defender, but what he can do is cover some ground. Monk can cover some ground, right? LeBron when can, too. Engaged, we haven't seen it yet, but yes, yet none, none will be helpful. Yeah, And so... The best lineups looked around Melo. Look, look to be any combination of Russ, Reeves, who also hustles around the floor, right? Monk, LeBron, AD. These are all guys who are just like, okay, if we need to scramble around in a meaningful defensive possession, we will get after it, right? The guys who are not as good a pairing around him are Rajon Rondo, Dwight Howard, Right. Like where it's just like, oh, OK, well, you guys aren't moving well enough around the court in order to protect me. Right. DeAndre Jordan would be another example of this where it's just like, no, Wayne man. Ellington
1: like, is probably a perimeter example. Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and we haven't seen Wayne this will well, this regular season yet. But but I can already envision that at, at some point there is going to be a a a, a short circuiting of your defense when you put too many of these sort of similar weakness carrying guys on the floor because it is going, you've reached a critical mass and it's just like, no, that, that second rotation, when you're expected to make four rotations in a possession in order to make the offense reset, which is what has really been a staple of the Lakers defense, Mike under Vogel is we will make those four rotations, right? Sometimes the Lakers aren't successfully making their second rotation. And it's just like, look, if, if, if you can't get past two, how the hell are we supposed to get to four or five? And it's not happening. And and so it is more speed that is needed on the floor. And it does play into the idea, Pete, that it's just like, this team does need to go smaller for longer. I don't think they need to go smaller infinitely but smaller for longer stretches is going to be super, super important. And it's why Reeves, Mike, has fit in, I think, really well here because he is another sort of wing-sized guy who hustles defensively and just gets after it and runs around the floor. And it's like, I can move out there to, to sort of help be a, a strong enough link in the chain.
3: Well, so Reeves has been terrific, and we can use him to make the point that i was just thinking of when you were talking about Melo and fitting the right guys around him this gets back to the whole roster construction right where ideally you're trying to fit guys around lebron and navy and now instead of just thinking okay who's gonna best who's gonna best accentuate the guys that should have the ball the most and they're gonna do the most damage and putting those guys around him. now it's like all right well hold on if carmelo's in then you need this. If Russ is in, then you need this. And that's just the reality of the roster right now. So I'm gonna take Pete's point from the last pod and, and we'll just get past all of that. But I like that's why Reeves is so nice, because you just plug him in and he will figure he will figure out how to fit that unit the best. You don't have to worry about taking him out against certain matchups or certain defensive situations for the most part. So that's one point. And then the other one is so Pete, I was laughing when we were talking about the, the early season numbers, because a lot of times on the broadcast, I'll try to come up with some some kind of a stat that I can sell to stew and not have just be swatted away. Like, just rejected <laughs> yes, it. That's the one of
1: my favorite games. And, is like, is it? Yeah.
3: Will this work? And Stu, you know, there are some analysts, like when I, when I, the times when I would do stuff on radio with, with Michael, you can give Michael anything and he'll either sell it or he'll just kind of take it into some completely nonsense. But he's not typically just going to be like, no, that's not it. And that's what I love about Stu because he will challenge something Billy says, something I said, just anything because he's freaking Stu. And so, I like if I hit him with the early, early season sample size of numbers, you know, he would just immediately throw that out. So it's basically all of the numbers right now were skewed by the fourth quarter against Phoenix in which they were up by 30 and the Lakers went small and Mello happened to be on the court. So, like, of course, some of those lineups and some of those guys are going to look a little better. I like I still need to see more. But with that said, I have seen enough of the starting lineup now, uh, and like I wanted to give, oh. I wanted to give DJ a chance uh, because that was what was coming from the coaching staff. But and this is a whole nother pod. I don't mean to. I just wanted to. While I was questioning the stat, I I don't I now don't see that that is going to be the best um, best lineup. To put it gently. And the, be- and, and the best way to fit in. And, and I'd rather just play one of the two bigs uh, and give some more time for either Monk or Reeves or Once None or THT Get Back. So I just want to put that on the
1: record. I want to give you a hug right now, Mike. That that feels good that we can meet, you know, somewhere. I, I'm hoping that a little later in the season, you're going to join me in the no big no. Uh you know, the, the, in the in the no well, big I philosophy say no now. and I, I, no promises. You but say yeah, no now, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm saying we're we're not in Kansas anymore, Mike. We we are well, going some strange places. With I just team. think you, but you this okay. This
3: is where we can't explain, Darius, all of the text thread, but. I, I think that you got to play 10 guys for the most part. And so therefore I get, I get the sure. one big and Pete was talking about the nine man, which is more of like a playoff specific rotation, I think in certain, but yeah, that's uh. so
1: I, I've spent many hours like writing out rotations of like <laughs> yes, this player comes in at that time and just like, and you don't play like, usually if a guy's in the rotation, 12 minutes is kind of the, the floor of how many minutes they will play Two six minute shifts. And so that, that is Deandre Jordan as a starter, for example. Um, I think that have with, when I've written those out, that having three players that are getting mid thirties minutes, which Vogel said would happen and has happened so far, LeBron played 40 minutes last night, which is why like the idea of That's Deandre Jordan as an innings eater. It's too many, right? Like, that's why the idea of DeAndre Jordan as an innings eater. It's like those units played pretty well, those other lineups. And the starters should have had ice on their knees late in that game had we not been really, really bad with with the starters. And I few to me, few lineups I've ever seen the Lakers put out there were as inevi- inevitably doomed to fail as these starters. And we don't know if they'll continue. That very well may continue to be the case. But the fact that Reeves and Mello even throwing out the um, – even throwing out that fourth quarter of the Phoenix game, and of course the sample sizes right now are so small that it's fairly ridiculous. But the fact that we are bad at in points in the paint, we're getting, we're losing that battle. We're giving up offensive rebounds. The we are, in my eyes, at heart, a power small ball team, and Melo's defensive five ness kind of plays into this, which is again why I'm. In that, in that area of like, I think we're a no big team and, and a nine man rotation team. And again, that may be down the line, but D like our bigs, our bigs aren't good enough, like our seven footers. I actually think you've been talking a lot about we need a power forward. I actually think we need a five, like a legitimately a guy that's still pretty good. Um, and, and I don't think that we have that on the roster right now. Uh, in context with, with Mello even, you know, like how does that play into it? A guy who does have that foot speed issue that is essentially a five in that respect defensively. How does that all tie together in your mind? Think of Mello the way that we thought of Marquise Morris. Right, because that's basically
2: the player who Melo is replacing in the context of the Lakers lineup at this point. That's the guy that you're describing, Pete. Like, it's and, a great point. And Morris was the guy who was the nominal center in lineups where there was no other big on the floor besides LeBron James. Right, and so now can Melo? We don't think of Melo being the rugged player that Marquise morris is can mellow do some of those rugged things right like i know that i know mellow can rebound some right um he tells you when he's about to rebound some um <laughs> and and i know that he is a much more gifted offensive player than than Marquise morris right um but there was a physicality That Morris carried himself with that was more evident on the court than what we've been seeing from Carmelo Anthony. The question is: is can can Melo approximate some of those things even if it doesn't look the same way, right? And this is a very similar conversation to what we had around Marc Gasol last season, right? Mark wasn't a rim protector, he wasn't a leaper, right? But the Lakers' defense was better with him on the floor than when he was off off the floor the Lakers pointed the paint against their defensive uh field goal percentage around the basket all of that stuff was better with Marc Gasol on the floor than when he wasn't right and that spoke to a certain knack that he had for being in the right place for getting his hand on just enough shot attempts right it And there was just enough there. Now, in the playoffs, we saw him get engaged in a certain way against a very specific matchup that just killed him. And he got he he basically couldn't hang. He didn't so much get played off the floor as much as whenever he was on the floor, they had to keep him on the floor because there wasn't really another alternative option. And the Lakers stunk. Right. And that's just how how it went. Would have helped to have Anthony Davis. But I digress. So. When you think about Carmelo Anthony again, it's just like, can they, can they get away with only playing one big, like, I don't think so. I'm with Mike there. I think they need another big, to your point, does it need to be a different one than one of the ones that's that's on the roster that I'm not as sure about? Like, basically, like, Mike, you watched a ton of the Brooklyn Nets. Last season, And I'm tangenting to them for a very specific reason here. One of it is because of DeAndre Jordan, but the other was because of like the way that the Nets ended up going defensively is sort of a way that I think, Pete, and I don't want to put words in your mouth. Nope. You're right on track. Yep. The Lakers could and maybe should pivot in that direction, which is switching more and more activity, more active bigs, right? Bigs with more foot speed. And the Nets really started to take off defensively last season, Mike, when they swapped out DeAndre Jordan for Nick Claxton, and then when they got Blake Griffin off off of the buyout market. And that basically removed their slow-footed bigs out of the lineup. And put in bigs who were more viable as switchers. And then with Claxton specifically, he could switch some and he could protect the rim some, right? And so they got rid of Jared Allen, who wasn't a switching guy. He was drop only. They removed DeAndre Jordan from from the rotation. He was drop coverage only, no switching at all. And they went to Claxton and Blake. And if the Lakers move in that direction, they don't have another big on the roster who who can do any of that? And we already talked about Carmelo being too limited offensively to say he can't be Blake Griffin. He's not going to hold up in in the same way. He's not as big, and he's not as athletic. He's like five years older than Blake too. So there's more roster stuff that we're discussing here now, and it's just like it's an interesting way of framing the Lakers. Right now is they've got a lot of core talent, especially offensively, but it's still it's still a work in progress defensively. And I'm wondering how much of that is scheme, how much of it is personnel and take that in whatever direction you want, Mike.
3: I just the way I would try to summarize it in the way that I think about the whole league and how the Lakers apply within it. I like to have two different styles uh, that that uh, that you can go to and the teams that have one like Utah. in in the big sense like Brooklyn last year in the small sense like Houston two years ago in the small sense that stuff can work for a little while but eventually teams are going to figure it out so that's really more of what I've been pushing back against the idea of just having a small identity and just kind of going that way even if the Lakers could figure it out because they have better personnel because they have Anthony Davis and LeBron James because getting through 82 and then getting to the postseason I like to have Okay, there's, we have these two ways of playing. One of them is clearly better, but let's use it in the spots where it's best applicated, and let's not just say we're, we're, we're not playing bigs, like we're not doing this. So I, I could go on about that, but that's the basic principle of what I'm thinking, and I, I, I have now just – DeAndre I did not think played well last year, and that's what I talked about in watching the Nets a lot. I thought maybe coming into Vogel's system – which is pretty kind to bigs in this sense. Maybe there'll be something that would figure out, but I, I don't know if it's a foot speed or whatever it is, the issue, athleticism that isn't there as much, but I still think that there's value in sometimes on the like 10, 15 minutes a game, having a big for that classic thing and then getting to the smaller group. So that's the base of my thinking on, on, on all of this.
1: And we're on the same page on that, Mike. And that idea of having two different looks and two different styles, I'm with you there. I do think you have to choose which one your primary is and which one your secondary is. And I think that that's flipped for our roster as a function of the talent, right? Like in the past, I've been supportive yeah. of the two big lineups and and starting that. And I my thoughts on having playing no bigs, I have a little glint in my eye and tongue in cheek when I say it. It's actually not my preference because I would like to have that second pitch. I don't think that – but you need to have the guys, right? One quick amendment to it. I'm
3: – I think the starting lineup is, is kind of conflated here with what the two different things as that being the primary. The primary for this team, and it was last year, it was two years ago, is still AD at the five. Like that is the primary even if you don't start with it. But now that you bring Russ in, like this is where you've kind That's of pulled right. me along. So I'm – all I'm doing, the big is playing the same amount of minutes for me, okay? whether starting or off the bench. But now the big, and in this case, I think it should be Dwight, can be shifted to some with that second unit. Now, certain nights, certain matchups, Jokic, whatever, flip that around again. But that's the, I still want to play the same minute distribution, but I'm fine if one of them starts and the other one doesn't start. Does that, does that make sense?
1: It absolutely does. D, give, give your thoughts here uh, before, before I wrap it up. I'm
2: mostly just listening here, and I think it's all good, points like if i were to make an old school baseball analogy i don't think we can be or i don't think the lakers can be mariano rivera right he had one pitch he was the best ever but he had one pitch and he was going to get you on that one pitch every single time you need it was a great pitch but guess what if they had four other wings i'd be like nah man play small right like make them match up with you make them all right let's let's play that game right but they don't have those guys and so right now, I feel like you have to sort of say, no, the second big, he has to play. I think Dwight has to play. Like, 15 minutes, 16 minutes a game, I think he can wrap Especially the with quarter, the injuries. Especially with, yeah. with the injuries. But even without the injuries, I, like, I'm still of the mind that you need to have that other sort of guy who can say, like, no, we're going to play drop coverage. For a longer portion of the game, because that's actually the coverage you need to play. And at some point, you're not going to say Carmelo Anthony, LeBron James. Guess what? (laughs) Play it. Play in drop coverage. Right? You're going to be in drop now because that's the way we have to play to beat this specific team. So I do think you you need to have more flexibility within your personnel and your lineup choices. The question is, is going away from it for longer and to start the game. That is looking more and more like the way to go, particularly if the alternative is DeAndre Jordan, who I have not been impressed with either.
1: That's really the fundamental basis of my point. And I feel like Dwight's escaped kind of a, a decent amount of, uh, you know, examination. Uh, he's been bad too. I would prefer to have those those two looks as well. I'm just saying that right now. I don't think we have the guys. Anyway, plenty more to talk to. We'll be back tomorrow to take our first, first look around the NBA. Um, but until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room podcast. We'll catch you guys next time.
2: James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. Fires again, yeah, the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game.
3: Three seconds left. That next for the winner. It. It's on the Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth blocked shot that ties an NBA finals record. A lot of Laker fans stick around for this.
0: You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, in Boston. Of all
3: places. Are you kidding me? Kobe, hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. What's two, what's score? Score? One. one.
0: This is it. Man. Unbelievable. victory. over